0: Welcome to the April 2023 Canso Corporate Bond Newsletter. The year began with swift optimism. Equity markets quick-stepped higher, while credit spreads swung tighter. Buyers lined up to purchase new bonds from both investment-grade and non-investment-grade issuers. In sequence, investors who were knocked down by one of the worst years of their careers bounced back up and danced. Jump forward to March, and the rush for the dance floor shifted to a rush for the exits. On Wednesday, March 8th, following a steep drop in deposits, Silvergate Bank announced that it would wind down operations. At the same time, Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, was experiencing a bank run of its own. By Friday, SVB's doors were shut. On Sunday, a third victim, Signature Bank, closed. The U.S. had entered a regional banking crisis. The following week, the crisis of confidence extended to Europe. On March 19th, under the watchful eye of global regulators, UBS Group announced a takeover of troubled crosstown and global rival Credit Suisse. The main culprit that shook the confidence of the banking sector stateside? Losses on risk-free treasury bonds. As yields rose over the past year, bond prices dropped, meaning banks, who hold significant amounts of bonds on their balance sheets, were facing losses. When finance textbooks talk about the theoretical risk-free rate, they are typically referring to a three-month treasury bill not a 20 plus year treasury bond the 1.875% coupon us treasury bond maturing november 15, 2051 ended last quarter priced at 6810 to yield 3.7% for those who don't frequently trade treasuries we remind you that the pricing convention for treasury notes and bonds is to quote each incremental price tick in 30 seconds or 130 second of 1% said alternatively this bond's price was 6810 over 32 68 and 10 ticks or simply $68.31. As we can see from the data, since being issued near par of $100 in November of 2021, the bond has dropped over 30% in price. This long bond pays an annual coupon of $187.5 for the next 30 years. Unfortunately, since newly issued long bonds yield 3.7%, they pay a much higher annual coupon of 370. The 1.875% bond with its low fixed coupons, is a lot less valuable. With $209 billion in assets at year-end 2022, more than three times the 2019 tally, Silicon Valley Bank was the 16th largest bank in the United States. Deposits stood at $191 billion, 88% of which were uninsured. Uniquely, Silicon Valley Bank did not have a diversified retail deposit base, Rather, their deposit base consisted primarily of commercial and private banking clients with close ties to the venture capital world. To highlight the concentration, Silicon Valley's bank's top 10 clients held $13.3 billion in deposits at the bank. For SVB, a slow trickle of deposit withdrawals turned quickly into a flood once stakeholders lost confidence in the bank. One catalyst? Those pesky, long dated bonds. As SVB quickly grew deposits, it needed to invest the newfound cash the bank decided to reach for yield, buying longer-dated bonds that provided marginally incremental income. This created a classic asset-liability mismatch. Deposits began to slowly bleed throughout 2022 as the froth came off the venture capital market. By the end of February 2023, Silicon Valley Bank was forced to sell the longer-dated bonds to raise liquidity. Suddenly, the unrealized losses on their balance sheet became realized, threatening their capital position. In an effort to shore up capital, the bank attempted to sell quarter billion of equity into the market. Instead of restoring confidence, this frightened investors. The equity sale was pulled, and the stock dropped 60% the next day. On Thursday, March 9th, $42 billion of deposits, approximately 25% of the remaining total, left the bank. By the following morning, the bank was shut down by regulators. For the Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and the White House, it was time to act. Having learned, hopefully, that taxpayers are not keen on bailing out wealthy bankers, how would these four react to restore trust and confidence within the banking system? First, the four parties determined that this was a systemic risk, opening up powers on how to deal with it. The systemic risk label allowed the FDIC to fully protect all depositors, insured and uninsured. So as not to be considered a taxpayer bailout, any losses to the deposit insurance fund would need to be made whole by a special assessment to other banks. Furthermore, the rescue did not protect debt holders, shareholders, or management. As we can tell from the data of Silicon Valley Bank's senior unsecured and junior subordinated bonds, the quick action to protect depositors will likely result in a less than full recovery for the senior debt and a near-complete wipeout for the juniors. Second, Recognizing the peskiness of the fallen risk-free securities, the Fed implemented the Bank Term Funding Program. This program allows banks to turn their below-par securities back into par securities in the event they need liquidity. Banks can post that 68 10 priced bond to the Fed's discount window in return for a $100 cash loan. Across the Atlantic, fearing the failure of their second-largest bank, Credit Suisse, Swiss regulators desperately knocked on the door of their largest bank, UBS. Having considered the alternatives—liquidation, nationalization, sale in parts—the regulators made it clear to UBS that a rush sale was their focus. Firmly determining who held the leverage, negotiations began. After years of turmoil, Credit Suisse ended 2022 with 531 billion francs in assets, 35 billion francs in book equity, and an 11 billion market cap. By the end of the week in negotiations, UBS had managed to purchase Credit Suisse for 3 billion. In addition, Swiss regulators agreed to provide UBS a 100 billion franc liquidity facility and share up to 9 billion francs in potential losses. Not only that, but 16 billion of additional tier 1 securities at Credit Suisse would be written off, a sum that would directly increase the book value of equity. Nice deal! We plotted the credit spread of a 10-year Credit Suisse senior unsecured bond with the credit spread of a 10-year UBS senior unsecured bond. This shows us Credit Suisse's risk premium went from slowly deteriorating to quickly distressed, as spreads moved wide of 800 basis points. With the announcement of the UBS takeover together with government support, spreads promptly snapped back in. Convertible contingent or COCO bonds are a form of AT1 debt that theoretically sit above common equity and below subordinated debt in a bank's capital structure hierarchy. But this technical speed bump didn't stop the Swiss regulator, FINMA, from writing them down to zero while maintaining value for the equity. FINMA's statement on the matter, quote, In close coordination with FINMA, the Swiss Confederation, and the Swiss National Bank, UBS will take over Credit Suisse in full. The extraordinary government support will trigger a complete write-down of the nominal value of all 81 debt of Credit Suisse in the amount of around 16 billion Swiss francs, and thus an increase in core capital, end quote. For most global AT1 securities, including Canadian LRCNs, a distressed scenario at the bank would include both the common equity and AT1 securities becoming significantly impaired. It is rare to see securities higher up the capital structure being completely written off without lower-ranking securities being completely written off. But in Switzerland, the offering documents explicitly state that this scenario is possible. The first quarter was a turbulent period, particularly for bond investors who endured sharp moves in yields. When the dust settled, a renewed appetite for risk and lower bond yields ultimately prevailed over market volatility. Equity markets overcame uncertainty in the bank sector and saw strong gains in the quarter, while the resurgence of tech stocks resulted in a notable outperformance for the Nasdaq. Fixed income markets were carried forward by the impact of falling government bond yields and resilient credit spreads outside of bank issuers. High-quality bond markets in Canada and the U.S. both advanced in the quarter. The impact of government bond yields continues to be the primary driver of returns, as investors recalibrate their central bank expectations. We plotted the two-year yield of Government of Canada and U.S. Treasury bonds, where some of the fiercest swings were felt relative to the overnight rate. In both cases, yields have now fallen below the central bank-controlled administered rate, implying with increasing confidence that rate cuts are on the way. The data also provides a useful perspective on how far interest rates have climbed off the bottom. Bond investors now have yield on their side to provide a buffer while the market attempts to guess when conditions will finally be right for central banks to relent. With short-term government bond yields above 4%, it is not surprising that investors are rethinking their investment strategies and migrating in mass to money market funds. Investment-grade risk premiums in Canada and the US plotted a volatile path and in the wake of the banking crisis, ultimately ended the period eight and seven basis points wider, respectively. This proved to be a light headwind against the price appreciation from falling government bond yields. We plotted the historical credit spreads in Canada and the US based on the Ice Bank of America indices. This shows us that through the first two months of the year, both markets experienced steady appreciation and absorbed significant new issuance. In Canada, spreads opened the quarter at 183 basis points and finished February at 163 basis points. The trend was similar in the U.S., but with the tightest spreads being realized earlier in February before strong employment numbers shifted sentiment towards a more aggressive Fed. After the sharp increase in March, both markets ended up just above where they started the quarter. In both Canada and the U.S., exposures to bank issuers accounted for approximately half of the total spread widening in March bank issuers widened an average of 55 basis points in the U.S. and 38 basis points in Canada. However, the Canadian corporate index exposure to the banking sector is much higher at 32.5% relative to 18.2% in the U.S. At the end of 2022, we observed that risk premiums for investment-grade bonds were looking more and more compelling. This is particularly true in the Canadian market, credit spreads diverged from the U.S. last summer and now look like reasonable value at 191 basis points. Spreads were becoming compelling relative to the post-pandemic lows, but also relative to historical precedents. From the historical track record, we can observe that Canadian investment grade spreads are now above the wide spreads of 2011 and 2016 and behind only 2008 and 2020. Despite this, we continue to observe that a deterioration in credit fundamentals still doesn't appear to be reflected in the pricing of Canadian investment-grade bonds. We have once again plotted the difference between B and single-A rated credit spreads derived from the FTSE Canada indices. The graph is materially unchanged and remains persistently below average and below prior cycle peaks. If lower government bond yields are signaling recession, corporate valuations have not gotten the message as investors are not being incrementally compensated for increased credit risk. On April 3rd, Rogers closed its $26 billion acquisition of Shaw, two years after announcing the deal. Within three days, DBRS, Fitch, Moody's, and S&P all downgraded Rogers' debt from triple B+ to BBB minus, only one notch above a high-yield rating. The combined Roger Shaw business will be acutely watched by these rating agencies over the coming years, and there will be little room for missteps. Rogers' leverage jumped to 5.3x following the close of the deal, up from 3.5x before the announcement. This compares to leverage that remains in the mid-3xs at competitors Bell Canada and Telescorp, whose debt are rated at Triple B and Triple B respectively. Risk premiums in the U.S. high-yield market were also volatile in the first quarter, despite minimal banking sector exposure. We plotted the credit spreads of the Ice Bank of America U.S. High-Yield Index. The data shows us that after pushing tighter through the first months of the quarter, spreads surged over 100 basis points wider in just a few days following the collapse of SVB, only to rally back in as confidence began to be restored. At the end of the quarter, spreads ultimately tightened 17 basis points, which contributed to a strong 3.7% return in the period. New issue activity in the U.S. high-yield market found modest signs of life early in the quarter, with gross volume of $20.6 billion U.S. billion in January and $14.4 billion in February, according to LCD. The average yielded issuance also declined to 8.5% in January and 7.8% in February, which issuers found attractive relative to new issue yields that had climbed above 10% at the end of last year. More favorable conditions also spurred an increase in refinancing activity during the quarter, which J.P. Morgan calculates at just over 70% of total issuance proceeds and a marked increase from 47% through all of 2022. Once the market turmoil took hold in March, new issuance ground to a halt until the final days of the month when conditions began to improve. By the end of the quarter, total new issuance fell below the comparable total from 2022, a year which produced the lowest annual volume since 2008. The U.S. high-yield bond and loan market began to see an uptick in default activity in the first part of 2023. In the first quarter, J.P. Morgan counts 12 companies defaulted, totaling $18.4 billion split between bonds and loans, and five more companies completed a distressed exchange, impacting $2.2 billion. The combined total already accounts for 43% of last year's full-year total, and to surpassed 2021's 14-year low. Despite this quarter's increase, default rates remain modest and have not materially caught up with higher borrowing costs and tighter market conditions. The surge in defaults in 2020, combined with record new issuance in 2021, continues to be supportive. With risk premiums on high-yield issues hovering around historic average, we continue to question whether investors are broadly paid for looming risks. The recent playing of the Masters and the serenity of its pristine scapes brought a welcomed sense of calm and is perhaps a signal that springtime hope and optimism have arrived. Toronto Maple Leafs fans will once again rally behind that sentiment as the team looks to recent additions to finally get them through yet another daunting first-round playoff matchup. The Super Mario Bros. movie certainly delivered positive momentum with its record-setting box office debut that usurped Frozen 2 as the biggest opening weekend for an animated movie. Bond markets are hoping, desperately, that spring will deliver the conditions that will ultimately lead central banks to relent. As investors try to make sense of the volatile feelings of the bond market, and ever-mixed messages across other asset classes, they can draw optimism from the fact that there is once again income in fixed income. Yields on high-quality and liquid bonds continue to be an attractive place to deploy capital while we wait for valuations and more speculative corporate issues to provide better compensation for their risks. Uncertain and increasingly illiquid markets invariably produce opportunity, and that is where our investment focus remains. Thank you for listening to the April 2023 edition of the Canso Corporate Bond Newsletter. This publication has been prepared by Kanso Investment Council Limited and has been prepared solely for information purposes. Information in this publication is not intended to constitute legal, tax, securities, or investment advice and is made available on an as-is basis. Information in this presentation is subject to change without notice. Kanso Investment Council Limited does not assume any duty to update any information herein. Certain information in this publication has been derived or obtained from sources believed to be trustworthy and or reliable. Cancel Investment Council Limited does not assume responsibility for the accuracy, currency, reliability, or correctness of any such information. This document may contain forward-looking statements. Statements concerning a fund's or entity's objectives, goals, strategies, intentions, plans, beliefs, expectations, and estimates in the business, operations, financial performance, and condition are forward-looking statements. The words believe, expect, anticipate, estimate, intend, aims, may, will, would, and similar expressions and the negative of such expressions are intended to identify forward-looking statements, although not all forward-looking statements contain these identifying words. These forward-looking statements are subject to various risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from current expectations. Viewers are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements. While Canso Investment Council Limited consider these risks and uncertainties to be reasonable based off of information currently available,
1: they may prove to be incorrect. To read our source disclaimers, please refer to the Canso website.